Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode. Today, we be sipping on a, I think it's just a Tampa thing. It's called maybe Kawa Coffee. And we are drinking the Nitro Cold Brew. And I am hype. Oh, yeah. I think they're like throughout Florida, but the headquarters in St. Pete. See, there you have it. I get it every Friday. So... <laughs> It's my Friday treat. I have a drive through one near my house, so I go and I get a nitro cold brew with oat milk and lavender vanilla. Ooh, lavender vanilla. I know. I love it. And Very their little yummy. breakfast sammies are so good, too. But Very yummy. That is what we be sipping on today. Um, I don't really think we have any true crime world updates. Not that I know of. I am keeping an eye out for... Royce Casey mm-hmm. in the Elise Pollard case. So once I hear from that, because that is going to be happening this month at some point, yeah. once I hear about that, you guys will definitely get an update. Yeah, and there are some minor things happening with the Lori Vallow Chad Dayball case. We just kind of want to wait until some bigger things start to happen, and then we'll give you guys like a little update episode on that. Yeah, all we really know is that she went to Burger King, and that's <laughs> that's as much <laughs> that's where we're at, and that's as much news as we have about Lori Vallow. <laughs> um, but we have a pretty big case for you guys today, uh, one that I have been wanting to do for a long time, and you know, I put my heart and my soul into this research. I read a book. I was just about to. I say, read two books. She was out here reading books. Yeah, so I wanted to do right by this case because it is from Cleveland where I am from. So I'm sure that all of my listeners from home know this case. I'm sure even if you aren't from Cleveland, you know this case, but this is going to be the case of the Cleveland kidnappings, the Cleveland abductor, Ariel Castro, and his abduction of Michelle Knight, Amanda Berry, and Gina DeJesus. I'm not from Cleveland, I will say, and I have heard of this case, but I definitely don't know all the details, so I'm really excited about this. Yeah, there's a lot of details. This story is heartbreaking. It's probably going to be a rough listen, but obviously there is a good outcome because the girls did survive. So I think it is a story worth telling and worth listening to. And we're not going to give it in one part. We're not going to give it in two parts. It's going to probably be three parts. Our first three-parter. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens but most likely going to be three parts. I just once again wanted to say like quick caution to anyone who isn't comfortable hearing about rape, torture, things like that. If you don't want to listen, totally understand, but I do highly recommend listening to it just because the end is rewarding. Yeah. So we're going to first, I'm going to take you through the upbringing of his first victim, Michelle Knight, her childhood, everything that she went through and then how she found herself in this nightmare. In part two, we will get into when the other girls come and everything that happened up until the day that they're found. Part three, we'll talk about the aftermath, um, the trial, and everything that follows, and the psychology. Of course. Of course. And before we get into everything, we just want to say thank you so much for continuing to listen to our podcast. We've got, what, 10 episodes out now, and we've got over a 1,000 downloads, actually over like 1,500 at this point. So you guys are rocking it. (laughs) 
Oh, Gus just spit up. So he's also overly excited. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we're just really grateful for all of our listeners and can't wait to get more. And for those of you who are continuing to listen, we just wanted to give a big shout out. And if you haven't followed us on social medias yet, it's just Crime on Caffeine on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And if you want to go to our website, it's just crimeoncaffeine.com. Yeah. Thank you so much. You guys have been giving us amazing feedback on all of our episodes. We really appreciate all the kind words that you have to say. So thank you so much for listening. And if you do want to go ahead and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing. It helps so much. If you just go to Apple Podcasts and type in Crime on Caffeine or you go to our Instagram bios, we have the links directly to it there. You can literally Google Crime on Caffeine and it'll come up. But just go ahead and click the stars. Give us a five-star rating. If you're feeling nice, leave a review. But yeah, we really appreciate it. We have like 30 ratings. I don't even think I know 30 people. So that's like really <laughs> cool. I'm like, I have two friends. One of them I was, is Erica. I was trying to like count at one point. And I was like, okay, Allison has this many family members who probably did it. I have maybe <laughs> one family member who the probably we- did it. The weird part is, is it's definitely not any of my family members. Cause they're all like, um, like Hallmark Disney people. Like if I've, if I was like, oh, Hey, yeah. listen to my true crime podcast, they'd be like, is it about uh, murder? No. If it doesn't have a, a gushy ending, then they're not <laughs> into it. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't use gushy, but this has a not horrible ending. Yeah. All mine typically have horrible endings. So I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to take this adventure with you. Let's get into it then. Michelle Knight was born on April 23rd, 1981. And even before this tragedy happened, she lived a very troubled life. It's incredible how strong this woman is. Even before she was kidnapped, just what she went through, horrible. Obviously, we're going to talk about it, but... I know, I'm sitting here like, what was it? <laughs> so she grew up uh, like taking care of her little brothers, Eddie and Freddie, and her younger cousin, Mikey. Get out. Yeah, Eddie Their and names Freddie. were Eddie and Freddie? Very cute. I'm going to cry. So her family dynamic was pretty interesting. Her parents were very closed off, I guess. They didn't tell the children a lot. Like, they didn't know where their parents were from. They didn't know what they did. They didn't know anything about their past. Anything to do with anything. Hmm. And they, they just said it was grown folks business. So like she didn't know folks business and they were homeless. She didn't know how they ended up homeless, but all she knew was at this point, they'd been living in a station wagon outside of Cleveland for about a year. It was her, her two little brothers, her little cousin and her mom and dad. And so just because her parents were kind of, you know, not, not normal, I guess. I don't know. She was very protective of her siblings and she kind of took it upon herself to be like their caretaker. And you'll definitely see this throughout her life. This is just a very strong personality trait of hers which I think is what makes her such a great person. But after living in that car for a year, they moved into a three-bedroom house in a pretty rough area. There were a lot of drugs, prostitution, drive-by shootings, things like that. Uh, They didn't stay there long. They actually moved around like every two to three months, and they would always be bringing in new family members. I say that loosely because some of them were real family members. Others were just like people her parents knew, and they just said it was a family member. Remember. Okay. Just there were always like random people in and out living with them. So they were just in some of the worst neighborhoods on the west side of Cleveland. A lot of the homes that they lived in were in the rougher parts of a neighborhood called Tremont. So they moved into a two-story four-bedroom house in Tremont, and the living conditions in this house were just atrocious. At one point they had 12 people living in this little house. 
Oh and gosh. Yeah. So people were just like always coming and going. And so the kids like didn't have their own set bedroom. So they just kind of moved around and like slept wherever that they could find. Like she would sleep on the couch. She would sleep in this room. Sometimes she would sleep in that room with her brother. Sometimes she would literally just sleep wherever she found a spot because there were so many damn people there all the time. Like I said, living conditions in this house were awful. The place was dirty. There were stains everywhere. They had like the stove didn't work. Just it was a mess. Also in this house, this is where a male quote family member began to molest Michelle and he threatened to kill her if she ever told anyone. Obviously this scared the living hell out of her because she was so young. So she didn't tell anyone. The abuse got worse and worse and eventually started to happen every single day. But they did not have any money. Her mom, whose name is Barbara Knight, she was a nurse for a while, but she eventually lost her job and her dad couldn't hold a job either. So a lot of the time they were unemployed. And honestly, Michelle didn't know what any of the adults that lived in the house did. She just knew that there were like always people coming in and out, random money, maybe, I don't know, maybe drugs. That's what I assume. But Well, it was grown people stuff, so it wasn't her business. Yeah, grown folks only. <laughs> They didn't really eat much, but when they did, it was mostly like canned food, like SpaghettiOs or cereal. They just didn't have money for food. Right. And like I said before, the stove didn't work. So when they had SpaghettiOs and things like that, they just ate them cold, like out of the can. Um, She did say that once she was able to heat up a hot dog on the radiator. That can't be good for you on the radiator? No, but this is the thing. Like she was taking care of all the little cousins and her siblings in the house. She was trying to get them fed and get them cleaned and things like that. You know, they would run out of toothpaste and stuff so they would go days weeks without brushing their teeth things like that so they were just dirty because of their living conditions and their financial situation right so she came to school and she was like i said she was very dirty and so people didn't want to socialize with her she would talk to them she had bad breath gross teeth and kids are fucking mean yeah they really are especially in cleveland so kids were very mean to her like she did not have one friend oh I know it was really sad. Teachers tried to like help her and stuff, but I don't know. Her mom was constantly pulling her out of school. I don't really know why. Michelle didn't really elaborate on that in her book, but she was pulling her out of school so much that she was only attending like two days a week. So by the time she was 13, she was in fifth grade because she'd failed out of so many grades. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So as you can imagine, that obviously made the bullying and stuff worse, but I don't really think she like let it get to her. She had other shit to worry about. I don't really think she cared. She was barely that was the least of her worries. She did love art class. It was like the only class that she actually liked and she did really well in. Her teacher actually told her that she had a gift. Aww. Yeah. So she loved art. She loved music and reading. She liked like R&B, hip hop kind of music. Okay. Me too, girl. Um, So she loved to like dance and everything like that. And she did read a lot of books. Like she liked Stephen King novels, which I thought was cool. We love that. Yeah. So she was really was spending all her time at home taking care of her brothers, all their cousins. At one point, like two random babies showed up in the house. She was taking care of them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She really took it upon herself to like protect and take care of these children the best they could because none of these adults that were living there was were doing it themselves. That's such a mess. I know. When she was about 15, they lived in a different house in Tremont. Unfortunately, the abuse from that family member I was talking about before continued. One night, she put sleeping pills in his drink so that he would pass out and not bother her. And she packed some things up in a backpack and she decided to run away. Wow. Yeah. So just paint a little picture. She's running away in Cleveland during this time around like before Thanksgiving time. So it was 
freezing. You're by the lake. You're in Cleveland, so it's so cold. And I'm sure she doesn't have, like, a proper jacket or anything. Oh, no. So she started sleeping on a bench. Oh, no. And she just used newspapers for a blanket. But she wasn't really sleeping. Like, you know, in study hall in high school, I used to sleep. I would, like, put my head down, and I would be, like, half asleep, but still awake. You know what's going on, you know? That's how she was because she wanted to stay safe and keep an eye on things. She knew she couldn't, like, let her guard down and just totally fall asleep. You have no idea what's going to happen to you. You're a freaking 15-year-old girl sleeping on a bench in Cleveland. She did find a bat that she slept with. She kept it under her arm. Okay. And then she found the bridge. So this was a highway overpass that she kind of made, like, her home because nobody could see her under it and no one could hear her because the cars that were going over the overpass were so loud. Um, She even said, it's dangerous for a girl to sleep under a bridge, but it felt a hell of a lot safer than sleeping under a park bench. Plus, when you've been in bed with a sicko, you're not used to feeling safe. True. That's really sad. I know. She did find, like, a big trash bin on someone's property. She just took it, and she used it as her room. That is very smart, but also very sad. I know. I know. There was a Baptist church that she found, and the doorman was super nice to her. Kind of noticed that clearly she was, like, a runaway or something, and he was like, I think I have a coat for you, maybe. So she went there. They fed her a ton. It was, like, the most food she'd had in, like, her whole life. Wow. They gave her a coat, and they even gave her, like, a small bag of toiletry. She hadn't brushed her teeth since she ran away, so this was really nice. She said that it felt like she'd run a stick of butter over her teeth. Oh. Yeah. So she continued to go to this church. She actually really liked going to church. She loved the music and like singing with the choir and everything. And she would go there to take baths in the bathroom. She kind of explains in the book how she does this she pretty much takes like paper towels and like a bird bath yeah like a bird bath yeah now she's under her bridge and a man named sniper comes up to her he told her like he didn't want to hurt her or anything he was just like hey you look like you need money i sell weed and ecstasy i need a runner to help me i don't want to hurt you like i will let you stay in my house you know whatever so he let her stay in his house it was huge pimped out aquarium nice as hell like big tvs everything he gave her clothes. He let her shower. It had been weeks since she'd taken a shower. Oof. Um, he even got her tampons. That's really nice. I know. There was also another runner that lived with them named Roderick. Sniper was super protective of the two of them. Like, there was no shady business. She said that she was super happy there because it felt like she was part, like finally a part of a group or a family, and she'd Aww. never experienced that feeling. In her upbringing, this was definitely like a more positive time, even though... You know, she was there to deal drugs. You can't have everything. No, I was about to say. No, but he taught her to shoot a gun. She felt safe and protected and like a sister to them. She did go on a drug run. It didn't really work out that well, but she was safe. Sniper made sure nothing happened to her. Um, Eventually, he got busted, and this was the last they ever saw of him. So she and Roderick had to run, and they went back to the house. They grabbed everything that they could, and then she took him back to the bridge. And they stayed there. They went to the church for food and music. But as they were leaving the church, a woman spotted her that her parents knew. That woman ended up calling her dad, and he found them. He yelled at her to get in the car, hit her on the head, and was like, that'll teach you to never run away again. Oh, my God. And that was the last she ever saw Roderick. Aww. 
She lost two of her friends. I know. So the following year, um, she was 16. It was February of 1997. Her mom re-enrolled her in school. She was supposed to be in seventh grade because that's where she left off. So 16 years old in seventh grade. Gee Louise. Mm -hmm. But she ended up taking this test. She actually did really well on it, and she was able to move up to ninth grade. It's very clear that she was pretty smart for I was about to say, how much she school took it she missed. And passed, yeah. Heck yeah. Good for her. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, her classmates were still horrible people. So it was to the point where she just started dishing class because she didn't want to deal with it anymore. That's so sad. Yeah. And now that she was back living in the house with her family, that family member who had been molesting her before started to do it again. At this point, they were up to 15 people living in the house, and he was abusing her about three times a week for the next two years. So then her sophomore year rolls around, and she meets a senior football player who she calls Eric. And he started to like show an interest in her, just saw her around school and started talking to to her they just kept hanging out they were ditching school together you know clearly liked each other he eventually told her that he loved her after they become official and everything it was her first time like having sex with her consent you know oh um that's really sad if you think about that wow i know and so she was head over heels for this boy because it was the first time that she was like wow someone actually loves me yeah so then she found out that she was pregnant And around the time that she found this out, she found out that Eric had been cheating on her with a girl who she called Cassie. She went to a different school. She called Michelle's house and was like, hey, I just want you to know that I've been dating Eric for like a month. And then she like hung up. What a terrible thing. I know. But also... I would I would want someone I mean, to tell yeah, me. Yeah, I would want to know, but also I feel bad. <laughs> I know, like okay, Cassie, you're stupid. You should be breaking up with him too. Like, why yeah. would you? I don't know. He cheating on both. Mm-hmm. So she, obviously, this broke her heart, and so she didn't tell him about the pregnancy. And so at school, he found out that she knew. So he started acting super different. And he was downplaying that they'd ever been together. He was like, oh, we just messed around. I didn't like her or anything. We were never together. This was like very hurtful to her. And so they kind of had like a mutual breakup. So then toward the end of that year, the end of 10th grade, she just completely dropped out because she was so exhausted from her pregnancy and she was starting to show and she didn't want people at the school to know she was pregnant, especially not Eric. For real. And when she was five months pregnant, her parents split up and her father moved out. And she also learned that she was having a son. Aww. Yeah. Baby boy. She was able to start defending herself from her abuser, and he definitely started to back off a lot more at this point, which good because she's freaking pregnant. She's freaking pregnant, yeah. And then on October 24th, 1999, she gave birth to her son, Joey. Um, Her mom started seeing a man named Carlos who ended up moving in with them. One afternoon in June of the following year, she came home to a very drunk and angry Carlos. And this was scaring Joey. He was like a little toddler. And so he actually peed himself. And Carlos saw this and was so mad that he grabbed him by his right leg, grabbed and picked him up by his leg. And he fractured his knee. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, It's terrible. I know. So terrible. She didn't want him to be taken away, so when she brought him to the hospital, she lied about what happened. She said he, like, fell on the playground or something. But unfortunately, Carlo's sister called social services, and he confessed and said what really happened. So they came to take Joey, and they put him in foster care. This was one of the hardest—I mean, this probably was, like, the hardest thing that she ever had to go through was losing her son. Yeah. Because him being born— was like the one thing in her life 
that gave her hope and kept her going. And you'll see that later on. That's the one thing that keeps her going is her son. She was like, I'm having this baby and he's going to be the one person who loves me that I love back. And that's a given a hundred percent. Yeah. Cause she didn't have that her whole life and now she had a baby. So this was absolutely heartbreaking, especially when it's something that she had no control over. It was not her fault. It was literally just because of her living situation, which caused these problems her whole life. She started going to court hearings and doing everything she could to eventually get Joey back and prove that she was a fit mother, but this was very difficult. She had no car, no money, no job, no support. She was able to have visit little visits with him. She moved out of her mom's house and into her older cousins. Her name was Lisa. She introduced her to another one of their cousins, Deanna. And so she started hanging out with Deanna a lot and Deanna's friend, Emily. And so they got pretty close. Emily was telling her like about her family and she showed her her dad and that they lived super close by in a street called Seymour, a couple of blocks away. She was like showing a picture of him and she listened to them talk on the phone and everything. And it was like she never had this with her family. So it was very different for her to see. Right. On August 23rd, 2002, she had a huge appointment with social services. It was to finally discuss the process of getting Joey back. She had the address, but she had no idea how to get there. A family member said that they'd take her, so she turned down the offer of a ride from social services. And then the day of, at like 11 a.m. that day, the family member backed out and she was screwed. No. Yeah, so she decided to walk and try to find where the place was, and Deanna joined her to help her. They walked for like an hour or two, and they just had no freaking idea where it was. So she told Deanna it was fine. She could go back, and she just tried to ask around. She went into a family dollar store, and she asked a couple women if they knew where the address was, and she came to the conclusion that it was somewhere near downtown. She just didn't know how to get there. Um, That's when she heard a man say that he knew where it was, and she recognized the man as Emily's dad, Ariel Castro. (gasps) Oh, no. I don't want to do it. So she was like, oh, I'm friends with Emily. And he was like, oh, yeah, like acting like he knew. And he was like, I can give you a ride there. And she was like, okay, well, can we maybe call Emily first? And he was like, oh, she's in school. I don't want to bother her. It's a lie. Turn around. So he grabbed her arm and they walked to the car and at first he had a really tight grip and she was like what the fuck and he was like oh sorry like sometimes I don't know my own strength I guess she had a weird feeling but she was like no like it's my friend's dad it's fine so they started driving and he was driving in a direction that was not toward where her appointment was and she was like yo where are you going and he was like oh I just need to stop by the house to grab something Emily's gonna be back so you guys can go to the mall give you money don't worry I'll take you to your appointment first And she was like, I really can't be long. My appointment's really soon. Definitely need to do that first. And he was like, yeah, my dog just had puppies. So if you want one, you can have one to give to Joey when you get him back. Because she told him that like she liked puppies and Joey wanted a puppy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh my God. Yeah, like this is awesome. They pull up to his nasty ass dump of a crib. There was like a wire fence, metal gate, whatever around it. Broken, rusty padlocks. So his car was disgusting. Think of just a car filled with McDonald's wrappers everywhere and just like gross, dirty, grimy. Ew. That's what his yard looked like. There were wrappers and just trash all over the yard. It was disgusting. 
he like backed his van into the the back of the house and she was like why are why are you doing that like aren't we leaving and he was like oh it's a sketchy neighborhood i don't want anything to happen to like the van or whatever he had a dog chained up outside and she was like oh what's it doing out here and he was like oh she pees in the house she has to stay out here okay no I know. She's, like, having a really bad feeling at this point. And she realized that his house on Seymour was just, like I said before, it was just a couple blocks away from where she lived. So she was like, that's literally two minutes from the family dollar store. So he must have gone, like, in circles to get there to make it seem like he He lived further away. Yeah. He asked her to come in. She was like, um, why? (laughs) And he was like, oh, so you can pick your own puppy. And he was like, Emily's home now. How did she just get... I didn't see her get home. Yeah, what? He said he had to bring her upstairs then once they were inside because the puppies were under a dresser in one of the bedrooms. So they get up to the bedroom. He shuts the door. There are no puppies. I will tell you that right now. And so she starts screaming, like, let me out, let me out. And he puts his hand over her mouth. And with his other hand across the back of her skull, he said, if you scream again, I'll kill you. Oh, my God. And she was like, what the hell did I just get into? Shit. So he pushed her on the ground, ordered her not to move. This is, like, really messed up. I don't know what he did when he got the other two girls, but what he did when he first got Michelle was just... I'll just I'll just describe it for you, but... He pushed her on the ground, told her not to move, and then he grabbed her legs and wrapped an extension cord around her legs and, like, around each leg so tightly that they were cutting into her. And then he wrapped her hands together... And pulled her hands and her feet together in the back of her, hog tying her Mm -hmm. with the cord. And then he looped the cord, holding her hands and feet together, around her neck. (gasps) So it was like, they were all, yeah. And then, um, this is really gross, he started to jack off and he was like talking to her while he was doing it. He was like, I just want to be friends. My wife and kids left me and all I want is for someone to be here for me. I need you. (gasps) Yeah, so he's clearly disturbed. Disgusting. Disgusting. Um, so then, you know, that's done with. Oh my with. god, my stomach hurts. <laughs> that's that's done with. And so he took the second extension cord and tied that one, the one that was like around her hands, feet, and neck, and hung her body up from wires what? between two poles. And he tied the cord to the wires that were behind her back. So she was, like, raised up, like, a foot off the ground, hogtied, in between two poles. Like, oh my tied God. Two poles. Yeah. I'm going to throw up. So he stuffed a sock in her mouth, duct taped it, and left her there with the radio on full volume so that no one would be able to hear her. Not that she could do anything with a sock in her mouth, right. duct taped. Like, and she hung like that for a couple days. Days? Mm-hmm. No food, no water, peed herself twice, passed out several times because the cord was choking her so bad. <gasps> oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I literally... All on the day that she was supposed to be going to get her son back. Shut it. I forgot about that. Has anybody been dealt a worse hand? No. Oh, oh. that is how I feel, Gus. That's why the story is just so because of the hand that she was dealt and how she comes out after. Like I said, hung there for a couple of days. After those few days, he came back and force-fed her some McDonald's. McDonald's is like the only thing that he fucking eats. I don't understand. Gross. 
I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I love me some McDonald's every now and then, but this was all he had for every meal. And he left the wrappers everywhere. Oh my God. They're all over his house. Like his house looked like his car in his yard. The house was disgusting. We're going to put some pictures on the website in the book. She includes a lot of pictures of the different rooms in the house and different places where she had been chained up and everything like that. She went back to that house. No, it was just like the evidence that the oh, police God. took. Yeah, no. I was oh just my about God, to say. No, you'll hear what happens to the house, but Ugh. yeah. So I'm already sick. Uh-huh. Um, he then proceeded to rape her again and again for the next hour straight. The mattress that was there was just like soaked with blood. Disgusting. Blood. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, it was so violent. Yeah. But this is. You'll notice this a lot, but this is where he started to, like, turn into a different person just for a little bit, which he tends to do. But he was, like, laying down there talking with her as if she was, like, his girlfriend. He Like, he literally started crying. He was just saying, like, I really wish I didn't have to do this to you. My wife left me. I didn't mean to be her, but it's like I got the power to stop myself. I got molested when I was a little kid, and nobody did nothing about it. That's why I started jerking off. That's why I started watching porn. I just want one person to stay here with me. And she's sitting, he? she's sitting there like, dude, get the hell away from me. One, I don't want to hear it. Two, I'm not your girlfriend. Three, a lot of people get raped and abused when they're kids and they don't turn out to be monsters like this. Like, who do you oh think you're talking God. to? She's been through all that. Whoa. So he then threw some cash at her to, quote, pay for her services. What? Yeah, he grabbed her purse and, like, spilled it out on the ground and found her ID. And when he saw that she was 21, he was pissed. Because he thought she was younger. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. He he was mad that she wasn't younger? Mm-hmm. She, so he's she disgusting. Was, she was so tiny. She was, like, four foot seven. Like, she was really small. So I think that's why he thought she was so much younger. Oh. But he told her that she wouldn't be with him for too long. And he said, like, probably just till Christmas. And then he took her down to what was referred to as the dungeon. Okay, wait. How many months away was Christmas? So she was abducted in August. Oh my gosh. Oh, sister, you think four months is a long time? Just wait. Uh, You buckle up, kiddos. I'm not. You're in for a long, wild ride. I'm about to open this car door and roll out. That is why we need three parts to tell this story. I don't want it. Mm -hmm. So the dungeon was the basement. It was disgusting, just like the rest of his house, car, yard, etc., etc., etc. There were just gross piles of like dirty clothes everywhere. Like I said, there were there was just trash all over the place. There were like gross puddles of like water and just it was nasty. So he pulled her arms behind her and tied them together with some bands and then he stuffed another sock in her mouth. He began to wrap her around a pole that was like in the middle of a basement with huge chains all the way around her stomach. He wrapped them five times and then the chain wrapped all the way around her face so it went into her mouth. The the part that like messes me up the most and this was definitely the most frightening part for her. He took a black motorcycle helmet and put it on her head so like she couldn't breathe or like see anything and it was so heavy and he just he dipped and she stayed like that she kept passing out and then she would wake up she had no idea like when it was how long she'd been there but she wasn't getting any oxygen from under that helmet so she has no idea how long she was like that but one day after she woke up she was able to undo those bands that were holding her hands behind her back mm-hmm. so she had use of her hands her body was still chained up though but she was able to take off the helmet oh, and breathe God. i know 
So she heard him coming back downstairs. So she put the helmet back on, but those bands were still off. So he saw that and he was pissed and he, he grabbed like a huge pipe and he threatened to shove it down her throat if she screamed. (gasps) Oh my God. I know he didn't, but she did say that this was like the one time where she didn't, I think there were like one or two times where she would not go into detail about what happened. And this was one of those times she said, what happened over the next three hours is still hard for me to think about. He didn't just rape me in the way he did upstairs. He murdered my heart. He forced me to do things that are too painful for me to describe things I had never done and would never do again. Um, she also said that she was just going to refer to him as dude because he was a monster who didn't deserve to have a real name, which I think is very appropriate. Appropriate. Yes. But like, holy cow. I know. So he gave her a toilet and by toilet, I mean a bucket with like a little piece of cardboard to cover it up, but he like rarely ever cleaned it. Get out. You can just imagine. I don't want to. She did say that when everything in your life has been stolen from you, even the most basic things make you grateful. So because of her disobedience, like the taking the bands off her hands, he punished her by leaving her in the basement with a helmet on, starved for days. He continued to rape and abuse her, and she started doing things like she would start singing or like thinking about the future and like her hopes of getting out to keep her distracted. It made him so mad when she was singing. He was like, why? Let the girl have some ounce of happiness. If she wants to sing, let her freaking sing. So this is when he started to like manipulate her emotionally. And I think this is what really hurt her, but... He started telling her that nothing had been on the news about her and no one was looking for her. No one cared about her, like nothing. And she played it off like she didn't care and it didn't get to her. But in the back of her mind, this was like breaking her because she knew it was true. Um, She was like, I don't think anybody's looking for me. Like no one cares. I'm going to be here forever. Meanwhile, her mom had actually been posting flyers about her, but this is messed up. So authorities just deemed her as a runaway and they actually took her out of the NCIC database. No. Yeah. So she wasn't like a missing persons or anything. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Kind of to like keep her busy because obviously she was just stuck in the basement, unable to see or move or eat or anything. She was clearly bored. So she would like talk to Joey kind of to keep her going. And the only way she knew what day it was, was just like listening to when he woke up. So she would know like, oh, he's waking up for work Monday through Friday. Oh, he didn't wake up for work today. It must be a Saturday or Sunday. And he would have his band over on Saturdays. So she knew like today's Saturday because those guys are coming over. So that's just kind of how she kept track of how long she was there and what day it was. And she was here in the basement like this for months. During this time, she never had a shower. And yes, she remember, she had her period since she was 11 years old. So she kept getting her period. Oh, no. Yeah. Not, he wouldn't do anything about it, but she still couldn't shower. He would toss her a couple napkins. Oh, what a kind human. Like, as if that's going to do anything. Right. And her hair was just, like, matted and literally hard as a rock from, like, obviously not showering. Like, she can't brush it ever. She can't Oof. do anything. And it had dry semen in it. So it was just disgusting. Oh, God. So after a few months of her being in the dungeon, he brought her up to the pink bedroom and he chained her to a radiator that was next to a mattress. He raped her and then he did that weird thing where he tries to have like deep talks with her. He was talking all about like 
how he was racist and why he was racist. And he claimed that when he was younger, he was bullied by black kids at his school because he was chunky. So he hates black people. Eventually she gets like a TV and like a radio and stuff. They weren't allowed to listen to or watch any black people on the screen because he would get angry and he would take it away. And then something he would is fuck wrong them. with yeah. him. Oh mentally. my God. He's so messed up. He's so messed up. I can't wait to talk about that in the third part. Oh. I need to know. He also talked about how he loved blondes and he wished he would have gotten to John Benet Ramsey first. What? Yeah. He also made really messed up comments about Elizabeth Smart, who she'd actually been abducted the same year, like two months before Michelle. And Michelle had obviously heard about it, watching the news and everything. She was like, you're a piece of shit. He told her that he hated who he was, but he just couldn't help himself. He had to hurt her. Are you okay? Why do you have to hurt her? Then he moved her into the blue room for a few weeks, and he told her he would let her go after he got two other girls. He got her a radio to keep her from being bored, so he also got her a puppy, which was... You know, that weird dynamic where he's, like, super nice and I don't know. I do not understand this man. Yeah, really weird. Clearly something going wrong in his brain. But got a puppy. She named him Lobo because he was so low to the ground. Aww. He was, like, little like her. Um, And she loved this dog. Uh, He brought her so much hope because she loved him. He loved her. Kind of like the Joey thing. Yeah. One night he came home super drunk and he was planning to brutally rape Michelle, you know, like usual. But Lobo saw this and he started bark really loudly and started like attacking him to protect her, which is so sweet. But this pissed him off. No. I know. Trigger warning. No, I'm not. I'm plugging my ears. I know what the hell you're about to say. Yeah, so he grabbed the dog and broke his neck and then threw the dog's body onto the mattress. Stop, I'm literally about to cry. (laughs) That was one of the harder things to hear. Oh, he didn't deserve it. No, oh my god, not at all. He was just trying to protect her. Now he's going to take her up to the blue bedroom and chain her up. This is what she referred to as prison because he, like, boarded up all the windows and everything. So, like, she couldn't see a thing. It was winter, so it was freezing. He kept his house so cold. Like, no heat, nothing. And he made her sit there completely naked, chained up. In the cold? In the room, yeah. And it was freezing. And she stayed like that for four months. And her body was literally blue towards the end of this. At the end of the winter, like beginning of springtime, he gave her a TV, which was life-changing for her because this gave her an opportunity to like keep up with the news, celebrity gossip, and all things happening, which kind of, you know, distracted her. And she liked that she was able to see what was going on. Um, One of the things she saw was Elizabeth Smart being found in March. And that gave her a lot of hope because she was like, okay, maybe that'll happen to me too. And then after eight months with this beast, she finally got to take a shower. Eight months? Mm-hmm. Eight months. Oh, my God. But the shower was disgusting. It was just, like, grimy. There was black sludge all over the place. Like, she started to shower. Obviously, the water was just, like, cold and gross. And just, like, there was black rinsing off of her. It was disgusting. Her oh hair was gosh. way too matted and hard to even wash. Like, she couldn't do she anything couldn't with wash it. wash it? No. So, she just cut it off. There was no hope. You couldn't wash it. You couldn't brush it. Nothing. On April 22nd, she'd been watching TV, and she saw a news report that the day before, a 16-year-old girl named Amanda Berry went missing in the same area Michelle had been taken. It was actually her 17th birthday the day that she was watching this. It was like she was abducted the day before her 17th birthday. And she actually recognized her from art class, and she just had this feeling in her gut that 
the guy had snatched her too. And so a month later, she started hearing super loud music and noises coming from the basement, like almost like what it sounded like when he had her down there from when she'd first been taken. And that's when she knew that it was Amanda down there. And that is where we are going to stop part one. No, you can't do that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And you guys are just going to have to listen to the next one and the one after that. That is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. When we come back with the next episode, we're going to talk about the other girls and everything that happens the rest of the time they're in the house. I'm already just physically sick about this. And I'll be here for the next two episodes, but... Oh, boy. I'm sorry. I'm being really gross. You're really <laughs> being gross. I'm, like, eating my ice out of my cup and, like, spitting it up. <laughs> I'm like, you good over there? Yeah. Anyway, I'm grossed out. I'm physically sick. I hate this man more than anything. And the fact that there's another girl involved now is making me so mad. And I'm not over the dog thing. And I just have a lot to say. The part that's so freaky, too, is just, like, how stagnant she was for so long. Like... He kept her in these rooms, in these positions for, like, so many months at a time with no food, water, nothing. Like, makes my belly hurt. You know. You and your ice. You're crunching. <laughs> oh, my God. That's some ASMR. <laughs> Ew. Okay. Mouth noise. <laughs> no, I hate that. All right. Like I said, that's all that we have for this episode. Um, we're going to have part two coming at you on Monday. You guys know how it goes. You know how it go. Um, and then, you know, part three will be right up that Wednesday. I don't like this, but I like it, but I don't like it. I know. I know. I know. Don't worry. It will get better eventually, but thank you guys so much for listening. Um, stay updated with everything so that you know, when parts two and three come out, go ahead and follow our social media at crime on caffeine. Follow us on Spotify. You will get notified when the episode's up. I love getting that notification. I do too. I'm like, oh my god, they released a new episode. Awesome. It's me, but I also <laughs> and then I don't listen to it. <laughs> you don't listen? No, I'm kidding. I'm like the first one to listen. I I just don't re-listen after like the final edit because I'm like I just listened to it. Oh, I'm always up in there listening. I can't. I, can't. I don't like hearing my own voice. <laughs> hashtag proud. Hashtag proud. But. If you guys want any stickers, like if you live by us or anything, let us know because we got some stickers. Or if you don't, just DM us and we will send you Yeah, we'll sticker. send you stickers if you really want one. Because that's really all we got. But, you know, I'm weird and I love merch. So, like, maybe in the future we go have some merch. Yeah, I would love a Crime on Caffeine little coffee mug. That'd be cute. I really want... Um, Ooh, we could do some giveaways if you guys want to yes. share some stuff. Let us know if you're interested in that. I'm interested in that. I'm interested, so we'll probably do it anyway. <laughs> I won't enter myself in the giveaway, but I'm going to share it. <laughs> um, and then I actually had a few case recommendations given to me recently. So if you guys have any cases you want us to cover, we would love to do that. So message us on whatever platform, um, email us, go to our website, but give us some cases and we'll do whatever cases you guys want. All right. Well, you heard the lady part two on Monday. So thank you so much for listening and we will catch up with you then. Bye.